Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Amen. You can be seated. Some of you are on etch. Uh, like every time I say amen, like please don't tell me to go shake people's hands. Uh, not going to make you do that this morning because uh, we are going to spend just a few minutes on when you guys heard uh, Chris say 2-9, you're like, that's it? Just one verse? One verse today. Um, that song that we just sung together, Is He Worthy? Um, we, were, we were talking about it before the service. We're like, what are we going to do if like, we just don't know how to, how to respond in this song? And it's okay. We said, like, we want to learn together. We want to teach. And, we, and one of the things we were talking about is, is you know, for, for, all of, for all of the history of the church, uh, one of the things that has just kind of marked their patterns and their behaviors as the people of God is just is, 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 is reading in response, um, that, that someone would read and, and the people of God would respond to something. And so if it's, if it's foreign to us and if it's different, um, it's, it's not because it is weird in and of itself, it's because we are weird and we have done things to it. Um, and we as Western uh, Christian people, the Western church through our own kind of crafting and creating church in our own image have really abandoned some of what I believe are deeply formative and impactful things that the church has always done. And so we're gonna learn this song together. We're gonna sing this song together. It's, it's uh, really we were, we were kind of arguing beforehand where exactly it's based out of, but Revelation chapter five, verses nine and 10 is, uh, is really just a beautiful place to kind of go when, when we're talking about what the overall point of the song is. And this is, what, this is what these two verses say. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God. By the way, this is talking about Jesus from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so this song that we sing is really just kind of like a, it's like a war song. Like, like when you hear it, as, as we get used to it together and we sing it together, like before long, we're just gonna be hopefully just yelling and getting weird in here, right? Like clapping and yelling and jumping, and that's okay to do those things, okay? I, I, I pictured as we sang that song, um, and even as the, the band rehearsed it this morning, just like, man, what, in what way would, would, the, would the underground church respond to this kind of song in, in other countries? And uh, people who are very, don't let this word scare you, charismatic in their worship and in their, in, their, um, in their singing and in their worship, how would they respond to this? And they would just respond to it with such worship and energy. And I hope that that could be true of us. And so that's enough of my uh, little rant for this morning. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, if you don't have a Bible, uh, this one verse is on page 1000, 1000, uh, 1015, 1015. 1015 in the book and the Bible and the seats in front of you. And so we really encourage you to follow along. In fact, we're just really gonna be kind of uh, walking word by word, line by line through this one, past, one verse of scripture this morning. Um, let's read it together again. First Peter 2, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to live as a redemptive people in this world. And we've hopefully established that we as the church, uh, whether that be Grace Harbor Church or just whether that be the people of God throughout the world, exist in the world um, as a community um, that is intended to live redemptively in the world. Um, and so if you've missed any last four weeks, we'd encourage you to go check those out. Um, but hopefully we have successfully established that. And so today we're wrapping this up. And, 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 and as I was kind of pondering what it is that, that we wanted to do to wrap this up, I just thought 1 Peter 2.9. Um, this, is a, this is a book that is written, um, as you see in, in the very first chapter of verse one, it says, to those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so without getting into everything that we may know or have observed about this book, we at least know um, that there is a group of people who are considered exiles, who are elect, um, which um, are the people of God, and they, are, they have been dispersed throughout the land that they're in. So the, the kind of the consensus is that the reason why they are dispersed and why they have scattered is because of persecution, is because things are happening to them uh, that are hard to process. And so Keep that in mind as we read and as we study what Peter says to these people. Um, and so this is what I want us to really see this morning. This is an identity passage. Uh, th this verse, really verse nine, we can just say this is identity verse. This is a verse about the identity of the people of God. And one of the things that we established in week three is that our identity is in our union with Christ, right? Remember that? Do you agree? Amen? Our identity is in our union with Christ. That's why we exist, that's who we are, that's um, any identity that we have is not political or social or um, socioeconomic or anything like that. Our identity is in our union with Christ. And in fact, one of the things that we saw last week in John 17 that we just did not even spend, it's almost a crime that we didn't spend time on verse 21 of chapter 17 that talked about Jesus saying, make them one even as you and I are one. And so there's really just kind of this talk about union, union with God, in union with Christ and union with one another. Um, and so our identity ultimately is in our union with Christ. And the union that you and I share is what? Our union with Christ. So that's where our identity is. And so this verse right here is an identity verse. It's a verse that is explaining and expounding upon what our identity is in this world as a redemptive community. And so we've, again, we've, we've spoken already on identity. And so this passage, it really builds upon that foundation of our union with Christ, um, not only individually, but our identity corporately, our identity as a people, as a church, as, um, as, as one anothering with each other. And so this is an important thing for us to understand today as we consider ourselves a redemptive community in the world. And so we are just literally going to walk through this phrase by phrase. This is 
the first thing that we're gonna look at, but you are a chosen race. Family, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, what this verse says is that you have been chosen by God. You have been chosen. Now, now here's what we don't have to do right now, and we probably won't really ever do, um, if, 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 if I can be honest with you. Maybe we do. Maybe we can have conversations about this over coffee. Uh, but this is something we really don't have to do right now for all of you theologically-minded people. We don't have to get into a conversation about Calvinism. Simply what the text says is that you've been chosen by God. And we're gonna take that for what it says, that you have been chosen by God, that if you are a child of God, God has chosen that you be redeemed, okay? Um, now, everybody knows that I love theological discussion. Again, we can get into that, and I would love to take you through Calvin, Calvin's Institutes, okay, um, and show you kind of some things and, and talk and discuss some things with you, but we're not gonna get into a conversation about that. What this is simply stating, and what we simply need to understand is this, is that if you are a child of God, we understand that God has chosen us. This is a biblical truth. This, isn't, this, is, this is not a truth only here, but, but it says that throughout other passages. In fact, the word chosen here, uh, that you are a chosen race, is the same word that, Paul, that Peter uses in verse one when he says to the elect exiles. Elect, chosen, those two words are really formed out of the same word in verse one and in this verse that we're studying today. What else does he say? He says that we are not only chosen, but we are a chosen race. So when you hear race, you think ethnicity, right? We think ethnicity. We think different parts of the world, different cultures, different, um, different ethnic groups, um, which the Bible has much to say. Uh, right now, a few of us are in a 15-week uh, course called Perspectives of World Missions, and all they have done for the first two weeks is basically point every place throughout the Bible where ethnos is mentioned. And so like when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, what he is, what he is saying is go to all peoples of the group, ethnicity, eth ethnos. Um, the, the race that he, the, the, the word that he is using here for race has nothing to do with ethnicity. It doesn't have anything to do with ethnicity. And so us as the people of God, um, there are different ethnic groups, part of the body of Christ. But what he is saying here. Um, is that this is a, not a, not a um, specific race of people, but a specific kind of people, that we would be a specific kind of people living redemptively in the world, that we are a chosen race. We are not a, a nation. When he says, um, later when he says, Peter says, a holy nation, it's not a, a nation of homogenous people. Um, it is a nation of a, what he will later say, is a set apart people that we are a nation made up of people who are set apart in this world. And so whether you are in the Middle East or in Asia or in America, it's an ethnicity that he's talking about. He's talking about that you are a people that God has pulled out of the darkness and put into the light. And this is the race that you now exist in. Surely you see what we're getting at, set apart Set apart from what? The, the, so when the text says that we have, that we have been, been um, set apart or that we are a holy nation, this isn't set apart from all the differences that we have with one another. This isn't set apart from all the different opinions that we share. In fact, it, in order for us to understand what Peter is trying to establish here with these people, it's important for us to understand this just real practically. Church family, you and I, have more in common 
with the Middle Eastern Christian refugee. We have more in common with the believers meeting underground in Asia or in Afghanistan right now than we have with our white neighbor who is an unbeliever. This is the kind of race he is talking about, that we are a chosen race and that we hold something in common, that we have something in common with people all throughout the world because of our unity and our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is what we share with our brothers and sisters. That is what he is trying to say. Jonathan Edwards said it like this, that the saints, that's us, the saints are all of the same native country. He's talking about heaven that the saints are all of the same native country. If you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have been delivered from a country of death into a family, into a royal family, for those of you who love the monarchy. In fact, royal family, he goes on to say, not only are we a chosen race, but look what he says next. We are a royal priesthood. Hey, church, guess what? The royal family has nothing on us. The royal family's got nothing on Queen, Queen Elizabeth uh, and, and her crew over there. Like, they've got nothing on us. And that's what he is saying. In fact, any monarchical, monarchical monarch form of government is merely just a shadow. It's a pointer of what we are. Um, it is something to reflect what the, the people of God. In, in the Old Testament, so this is something really interesting that I was saying. In the Old Testament, there were two high offices among the people of God. There were kings and there were priests. They were elusive offices reserved only for someone who had been set apart. But now Peter says, we are priests. We are priests. We don't need a priest to have access to the Father. Guess what, church family? We are priests. We are the priesthood. We have direct access to the Father. Martin Luther famously defined this as the priesthood of believers, that we are the the priesthood of believers. And then he goes on to say that we are a holy nation. So we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Check out what's happening here. This is something that's really interesting because there's, there's some, I'm gonna have you turn over to Exodus chapter 19. We're not gonna read Exodus 19 at length, but I'm just gonna like tell you to put your finger there and maybe put a mark there and go read it later because the language of 1 Peter 2, 9 is almost identical with some very key and very important language distinctions between 1 Peter 2, 9 and Exodus 19. This is what's happening in 1 Peter 2, 9. God is declaring us holy. God is, he's not so much, as in Exodus 19, what you could call summoning us to holiness. This is not God. Now, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter we will be summoned to holiness. You see that throughout the rest. You say, hey, be holy. Jesus is summoning us to holiness. He's saying, hey, be holy, pursue holiness, do those things. But as far as our identity goes, what we live from is what God has declared about us, that we are a holy people that you just by nature, by default as a child of God are a holy and set apart people. And so God here in 1 Peter 2, 9 is declaring us a holy people. Now, how can he declare us a holy people? Is it because of what we have done or because of what we are, are doing? No, it is by Christ's work. It is Christ's obedience. It is Christ's righteousness. It is only by that that we are holy. 
And so again, we see a call to pursue holiness, but when we pursue holiness, it is not a pursuit of holiness for God's approval. We said this a lot of times. It is not a pursuit of holiness for the approval of God. It is a pursuit of holiness from the approval of God. We don't work for God's love. We work from God's love. Does that make sense? We don't work for God's love. So my children, hopefully, obey, obey me and honor me, not in order to gain my approval, which sometimes I probably make them, I'm, I'm not God, and so sometimes they probably feel like that. Hopefully their obedience and their submission to me is because they know dad loves me. And so when we pursue holiness, when we do obey the Lord in pursuing holiness as he calls us to, what, do we, what is the motivation for our obedience? Is the motivation for obedience so that we will be, um, so that we will be loved and approved by God? No, it is, I have approval by my Father, therefore I will obey. And so this is something that's so important to understand, that if you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, you have been justified. You have been made righteous. This is a passive righteousness, something that has been done for, to you, for you, from outside in. Not something inside out that you conjure up within you, but something that has happened to you because of the work of someone else. And so the immediate context of this declaration here in 1 Peter 2.9 is that God has declared us holy. So Exodus 19, let's get to that. We're not gonna read all the way through it, but I think it's uh, specifically verse six is kind of where we'll see what I'm trying to build here. If you're just like, I'm just not following you, bro. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll get there. Just give me some time. Exodus 19, six. We'll start in five. Now, therefore, man, we gotta start before that. Golly, you just can't, you can't just pull verses out, y'all. We gotta... We're just gonna start in verse two. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Okay, verse five and six are very important. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Some translations say, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Guess what's happening? I'm gonna actually ask for some group participation here. I need it because I'm about to fall asleep myself. You are too. Okay, here we go. I need some group participation. What's the difference in light of what all I have said so far and kind of putting things together? Do you see a difference in Exodus 19, five and six in 1 Peter 2, nine? What do you see? If you keep my commandments, then. Just, this is what Jordan's saying. If you keep my commandments. Do you see that condition in, in 1 Peter 2, 9? God is declaring something about us that he did not declare about the people in Exodus. What's the difference? Jesus, the gospel. 
Good job, John. Jesus. He took that one. He's like, okay, softball. First Peter, the difference between Exodus 19 and First Peter 2.9 First uh, Exodus is, is a summons. It's a conditional, it's almost like a conditional covenant. Now, it's, it's, uh, it's conditional in the way that only Jesus could meet the conditions. And so, yes, God's love towards us today is unconditional. But guess what? Someone had to have kept the law in order for us to receive the unconditional love. And guess what? Jesus kept the conditions that Jesus is laying out here that if you will obey me, if you will follow me, then you shall be a holy nation. You shall be a set-apart people. Well, guess what? We still haven't done it. (laughs) Even today, we still haven't done that. But guess what? Somebody say it. Jesus did. Jesus has. Jesus kept the if-then statement. And now, even though God, yes, he does call us to holiness, It is not a holiness that is so that God's promise will come through to us because guess what? All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus, amen? That's the Bible, it sounds kitschy, but it's actually scripture. Like all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And that's what we have here. So now God can look at us, the set apart holy nation people and declare something about us not because of our work, but because of the work of Christ. And that's the difference in this. So God tells people in Exodus, if you obey, then you will be a royal priesthood and holy nation. Here in 1 Peter, to these persecuted Gentiles, to these dispersed Gentile people, look what God's saying. You are. This is is what you are. This is who you are. And the only reason why and how is because of Christ's perfect Obedience. Man. Can I get an amen? Can the word get an amen? The only reason how and why God can declare what he declares about us as a holy, set-apart, holy nation, people, is because of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. Now, the, the question that the text answered, I mean, we're, just, we're really just kind of like answering the question that the text uh, brings up in our minds. And so the, the text itself says why. It doesn't say it clearly, like it's not explicit, but see that word that in verse nine, that you may, you see that? That, that is answering the question of why are we a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession? Why? We all love that question, right? We we love an answer to that question. I have a book in there in the office. The title of the book is Start With Why. If you're gonna tell people to do something, the best place to start is telling them why they're doing it. (laughs) Why are, we, why are we doing what we're doing? Well, I don't really know. Well, then why are we doing it? Well, I don't really know. Well, then why would we do it? I, I don't know. Start with why. And so this passage here, Peter gives them the why. He gives us the why. So are you a royal priesthood, a chosen race, and a holy nation so that we can hide ourselves away and just like pursue holiness in our closets and with the lights off? No. Look how Peter answers the question. 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are proclaimers. So we've talked about this as a redemptive community, that we are a megaphone, the church, the people of God. We are a megaphone for the grace and the beauty of God. You see that? That's what the text says. That you may, I think Peter very intentionally doesn't say reflect. Sometimes we like reflect. Well, people will just like look at us and see our beauty, right? No, Peter says that you may proclaim, that we would be a voice, that we would proclaim something. You know what proclaim has, you know, kind of like the implications of proclaiming something, right? Speaking into, saying something, um, evangelizing, um, declaring what is true and what is right. And so why has God declared what he has declared? And this even could even go further back of why has Christ done what he has done? Ultimately to save us, but so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so church, just the application again, and we've said this several times and there's just, I just don't, uh, the, the word says it more profound than I ever could, but just simply this, when the world wants to see who God is, the picture that they have is us. The picture that they have of the kingdom of God are the citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We're, we're a royal, na- our, our nation, our, our citizenship is to the nation of God to the kingdom of God. And so when the world wants to know what God is like and who God is, he, the world, looks and hears from us. And so we have to admit, we are not good representatives of God, are we, all the time? Aren't you grateful that God has declared this of us? Now, the declaration is good news, but it's also like, it kind of, it, it, it feels, what we do with it is we allow it to put pressure on us. We think, it's about how I perform. It's about how I work. It's about my good deeds. It's about all of these things rather than resting in what, who we are. Remember, we don't work for the approval of God. We work from the approval of God. And so when the world wants to see who God is, they look at his nation of people, the church, not America, not, not anywhere else. The nation of, the, of God is the church, the people of God. And that is what we must know. That's why Jesus in his final days prays what he prays. God, I, Father, I just pray that, that as you and I are one, that they would be one, that they would experience the same kind of unity that we experience with one another, that they would glorify you, that they would, that they would follow you and they would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And so church, this is who we are. This is who we are. There's not, there's not just a whole lot of like, this is what we do now, okay? Um, I think we've talked a little bit about what we do. And so what I wanted to do today is not so much end on, so what do we do? If you want that, you can go back and listen. I wanted us to, to, to close today on who we are. I wanted us to be reminded of where our identity is and who we are, what our identity is in the world. 
and it is as the people of God. And again, it is no longer an if-then statement. It is no longer of if you are obedient, then you will be my people. It is Christ has finished the work. Therefore, you as children of God, this is who you are. Now, we could go on in the text and we could, we, we could see that Peter does give instructions on how to live. He does say, here's what you do. He does say, here's how you are to live as this people in the world. And we've done a lot of that over the, the last few months in our, in our studies on First and Second Timothy and our study through Colossians. But today, it's good for us to, to be commissioned and sent from this place knowing where our identity is and who we are. And so in light of this, in light of who we are, in light of the unconditional love that God now has for us because of what Christ has done for us, we come to the Lord's table empty-handed. We come empty-handed and we say, I, I am not worthy to receive what you have given. I am not worthy to be given what you have imparted to me because of your goodness, not because of my work. And so that's how we come to the table. I would invite you, if you don't feel too awkward, come to the table like this. It's symbolic. It's, it's something that will help you remember. Empty-handed. When you see this, what do you think of? You think of a beggar. That's what we are, family. We are poor beggars that God has called into and made royalty, that we are victorious because of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have declared of us. And Lord, I know that, I know that there's, there are, are many places that, that use a, a, a declarative context and a declarative passage like this to talk about how awesome we are um, and how champions we are and, and how much we've overcome. But Lord, we, we could overcome nothing if it weren't for you. And so, Lord, this isn't, this isn't a pep talk. This isn't, this isn't a, um, a, a feel-good message for us to hear today. It is, a, it is a gospel reminder. It is just a, a simple and true reminder, Father, that we come with nothing and we leave with everything. Lord, even in the Lord's table, exactly what happens. We come empty-handed and we head back to our seats with everything, with a reminder of the body of Christ that was given and beaten and torn for us and a reminder of the blood that was shed for us. And Lord, it wasn't just drops of blood. It was the blood that cleansed us from our unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we come empty-handed and we return completely filled. So Lord, would you help us just to acknowledge and understand that today? We praise you and we worship you. We respond even now through our singing, through our voices. Lord, Lord, I know we're tired and a lot of us have scratchy throats and Lord, would you just help us raise our voices and, and sing to encourage those around us? Lord, even, even your word instructs us to, to sing so that we may uplift those around us, to give our voices, to, to strengthen those who are weak. So Lord, would you just help us and strengthen us today? Pray these things in your name. Amen.